everybody. This is Just Sold with Brent McIntosh of the McIntosh Group at Remax River City. My name is Bryn Griffiths and joining us, of course, as always, is Brent McIntosh. How are you doing today? I'm well. How are you? I'm doing great because the hockey season's just getting going and, you know, we've just gone through training camps and that kind of stuff. So, you know, it gives me something to distract myself from because we're about to go into the dead of an Edmonton winter. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. And hockey season. Oh, yeah, exactly. Bring it on. So... What uh, I'm going to name some players here: Mark Messier, yes, Jerome McGinley, check, Daryl Sador, mm-hmm. Scott Niedermeyer, yeah, Jay Bowmeister, right, Kelly Rudy, yes, Andrew Ference, yeah, and Tyson Nash. What yes. do they all have in common? Are they not from the metro area here? They are all born in Edmonton, and one of these guys has been gracious enough to join us today on the podcast. Well, you tell me who, because it, that's quite the list you, uh, it you is, just rattled and off. and we are excited to welcome Tyson Nash to our hey. broadcast. Tyson, how are you? How are we doing? I, I am in the same conversation as Mark Messier. Are you kidding me? I, I love it. I love it. I love all things Shore Park. I love all things, all things hockey. It's been too long, boys. Well, we're going to talk about basically from growing up in East Edmonton, Sherwood Park, and making it all the way to the NHL, and now... To the broadcast booth, which is kind of cool um, that that you've got a whole new career that maybe you didn't know that you were going to enter in when you started playing hockey. Yeah, no. And first of all, let's uh, let's talk about the jacket. I broke it out, dusted it off. It's my old Sure Park Jets jacket. Uh, th- this thing was money back in the day. You know, you had this jacket. You were you were someone in, in high school. So the leather sleeves. The name on the side. He's got Tyson written on the side and, and white leather uh, sleeves, a green jacket. On this side. I mean, everyone oh. had one or everyone wanted one. And the girls, well, they, they, they wanted to wear it. So it was, uh, you know, it's uh, you, it still survived. You, you look really good. And, and again, for those people listening, it's a, it's a green and white bomber jacket uh, that uh, the Shirt Park hockey players got to wear. Do you know what they call those jackets? Melton jackets. Melton jackets, yes. Yeah. That is a Melton jacket with the snaps and, and the felt. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's only it's 110 degrees here in Arizona. So <laughs> I was just going to say, that's a little hot to be wearing down in the, in the desert, is it not? Wow. Yeah, awesome. Well, I can't believe you still have that jacket and it looks good on you. Well, thank you again for joining us. Let's start with a brief bio. Before we talk about uh, hockey, tell us about your family now. Well, uh, I'm married to a local girl there from Shore Park, uh, Kathy Wood. I, I know you, uh, mm-hmm. you're familiar with Kathy. Um, and we have uh, three kids. Uh, my oldest is uh, Maddie. She's 20. She's uh, playing soccer um, at uh, UND, University of North Dakota. And uh, my son, Ty, is, uh, he just turned 18. He's uh, actually playing in Lethbridge, just down the, down the road oh, there wow. from here. You guys in the Western Hockey League. He's going to training camp in a couple of days. He's off to uh, the Carolina Hurricanes training camp. So wow. he's, uh, he's really excited about that. Really nervous, uh, but really excited. And then my youngest uh, is Georgia. She's 16. So uh, she's still at home with us here. So we're almost empty nesters. Oh, good for you. Well, you left Sherwood Park way back in at 15 years old, I think, to join the mighty Kamloops Blazers. Is that correct? It is. Yeah, I, uh, I was a young buck. And, and like a who's who of NHL hockey players on that team, uh, Bob Gartner, Darcy Tucker, Daryl Sador, Shane Doan, uh, Jerome McGinley, Scott Niedermeyer, Tyson Nash, unbelievable roster. Yeah, it, it was crazy. It was, uh, you know, it, you look back now and I think you really appreciate it. Um, you know, at the time you're, you're just kind of 
going about your business, right? And you don't really understand what you're doing and what you did and um, and you're just trying to get through it and you're trying to not look too far ahead. Um, but now when I look back, I'm just so fortunate and blessed to be such a, a part of a, an organization that, you know, kind of molded us into who we were as human beings, most importantly, uh, and then hockey players. I mean, I don't care what level you're at when, when you have that foundation because you're taught um, at 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, those are, those are very important years for, for these young kids. And, um, you know, again, I don't, I don't care. We, we won, uh, I won three Memorial cups there with the blazers and you never forget that. You never forget that feeling. You never, uh, it never goes away. And I think that's was always important. And that's why a lot of us got drafted in those years because teams, NHL teams, they wanted players that had won before that, that have realized and gone down that road to know how hard it is and what it takes to win. And, um, you know, I, I owe a ton to the Kamloops Blazers. Are, are you still in touch with those guys? Oh yeah, absolutely. I was going to break out uh, that jacket next if, if you want, but um, <laughs> no, I, those are the best years of my life. They, they really were. I mean, I, I didn't think yeah. it was going to get any better than uh, playing minor hockey in Shore Park, but it, it just did. Um, and I was very fortunate, obviously, to be a part of a group like that, to, to be learning from guys like Scott Niedemeyer. I mean, when I was 16, I, you know, came to the, the Western Hockey League. Daryl Sedora was my roommate. Zach Boyer was my uh, was my other roommate. I mean, these guys played in the NHL. Daryl Sedora was, I think he was like sixth overall or maybe even lower than that to the LA Kings. He played half the year that year with LA. Mm-hmm. The Gretzky stories he'd be telling us, the Rob Blake, the... I mean, you name it, it was, it was, it was incredible. Like just to be a part of that and learn at such a young age, what it took to get to that next level. Hey Tyson, it's one thing to talk about the players, but you have to be taught as well. And if there's one thing that we've learned about the Kamloops Blazers, they had great coaching there over the years. No, they, they certainly did. Uh, Ken Hitchcock was there early. Um, when I was uh, a youngster, I was going to, you know, rookie camps and, uh, I was uh, listed at 13 years of age. So I was a part of that, uh, that organization as a real, real young kid. And um, just to, to see Ken Hitchcock and, um, you know, Tom Rennie as well. And, you know, to be around those type of guys and, and the leadership. And that's where the leadership starts, right, is, is the coaching. Um, and they, they beat you down and, and they, they were, they were old school. Those, those guys, I can yeah. tell you that on, Hey, I'm not sure if that, uh, that still works today, but, um, it, uh, it definitely worked with us, uh, back in the day. I can say that. And certainly made you tough. Well, you got, you obviously then drafted, but you weren't quite drafted in the first round. No. And I, I talked to my son about that. He was really upset. Um, it, it was a tough, uh, tough day this year when he didn't get drafted. Uh, we watched uh, all seven rounds. Um, you know, he was uh, he was pretty upset, and um, it was nice I could be there for him. And it was nice that I could tell him, "Hey, I I made it. Of I course. was drafted my first year of eligibility." Um, so you use that as fuel for the fire, and you know you you want to show everyone, you want to prove everyone wrong. And I think that's a, a real important thing for, for these young kids to find some uh, form of motivation to, uh, to keep, you know, pressing every day to keep knocking and banging down those walls and those doors. And for me, it was, it was that it was, I wanted to prove everyone wrong. I remember driving every day to the rink with Jason Strudwick and I would 
I would bitch and moan every day. Be like, I can't believe this guy got drafted. I can't believe this guy signed a contract. I'm better than that guy. And he would, he would always listen and laugh and, um, you know, but that's kind of what motivated me. And, um, you know, I think every person has to find that. You were drafted in what round? <laughs> they don't have that round anymore. Yeah, that's the point I'm getting at. Yeah. We're, uh, we're teasing obviously, yes. but, 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 um, it, it, it's a compliment to you just to how tenacious you really were. And, and maybe because of your, maybe that gave you that chip on your shoulder yeah. that made you earn, um, your stripes and, and make it to the NHL where obviously guys in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round don't normally make the NHL. Yeah, no, it was, uh, I believe it was 242nd overall, um, in the 10th round. It was, uh, it, it was a, a real tough day. I was, cause I think I was scheduled to go on the fifth round. Yeah. Um, and I was so upset. I was so mad and so upset. I was in tears. I'll never forget. I mean, obviously you just love to get drafted, but that's not how I took it. I was like, are you kidding me? This is a joke. I'm going to show them like, you know, and I'm going to, I'm going to beat up every kid that got drafted ahead of me. You know, like it was one of those things. Like I just had that, I guess in me. And I think you have to have that in you. And um, again, I was just happy to get drafted, but, uh, you know, you, whatever it takes, you got to find a way. So you start your professional life in the minors and that's not as glamorous as some people might think it is. Oh, the minors is terrible. They, they call up with a jungle for a reason. I mean, you, you go through junior, right. And you think junior is as tough as it gets the long bus trips. Um, but you know, then you got to do it all over again in the pros. Like you're playing pro hockey. And at that time, when I signed with Vancouver, um, I went up to, uh, I actually, it was my, the year we won the Memorial cup in Kamloops, I got called up actually, which, which was a funny story because I was so upset and all that stuff about getting drafted, all that stuff, right. It all went out the window because after, after we won the Memorial cup, I was one of the only guys that got called up because the Vancouver Canucks were in the playoffs. Well, I get called up and I, I get to walk into Pat Quinn's office. He's up in this big chair and this mahogany desk and he's smoking a cigar. And I'm like, Oh my God. Like, I'm like a, I'm a night. What am I? 19. Like, I'm like, this is the craziest thing ever. It's Pat Quinn. He turns around, he's puffing on his cigar. He's like, welcome to the NHL kid. And I was like, <laughs> this is the coolest thing ever. And I followed the Vancouver Canucks. I was a black ace on that team. And they ended up going to uh, game seven against the New York Rangers. And I was, a, I was a part of that. I was hanging out with Pavel Dimitri or uh, Pavel Bure, excuse me, Gino Ojek and a bunch of the other uh, rookies along the way. So that's kind of where it started for me. Um, and then obviously uh, reality hit when I, I found out I had to go to the American hockey league and earn my stripes again yeah. and earn my way back up to the, to the national hockey league. So you had to start all over again as a rookie, <laughs> getting rookie, getting initiated, and then kind of earning your stripes, earning the ice time, earn, earning the coach's trust again. Um, and it was no fun. The soggy, soggy subs, the, the old pizza on the, on the bus ride after drinking a couple beers in the back with a black guy. I mean, it was, it was not fun. Well, eventually you made the St. Louis blues and that had to be super exciting. Tell us about that. Um, making your first NHL team. Well, so again, it was, uh, it was a, a chip on my shoulder, right? I, I remember the Vancouver Canucks, they had called up a bunch of guys. They had a ton of injuries up front and they were calling down. It was Mike Keenan was the coach in Vancouver. 
And he was calling down to Syracuse and he goes, give me your biggest, toughest player. I don't care what he is. Just give me your biggest guy. And they were calling up defensemen. I'll never forget. It was Burt Robertson and Chris McAllister. They were two defensemen for us in Syracuse. And they got called up and they played forward. So they got called up ahead of me. I had 20 goals that year. I had 180 plus penalty minutes. I was doing everything, but I wasn't a big guy. And Mike Keenan didn't like big guys. So they passed me by. Long story short, I never got an opportunity with Vancouver. Well, free agency came. And July 1, and I'm like, well, I'm not going to get a call from anybody. Vancouver had decided to wash their hands from me and, and, uh, and let me go on my, uh, on my merry way as a free agent. So the first day, I'll never forget, Larry Plough, the general manager of the uh, St. Louis Blues, he had called me and he goes, hey, um, we really like you. My scouting staff loves you. Bob Plager is a massive fan. Um, we want you to be a part of the St. Louis Blues. We don't care if you come in and you earn a spot on our team, you will get that spot. I don't care if you're a first round or a walk on, it doesn't matter. If you show you can play for us, you'll play. And I'm like, where do I sign? I didn't even care about the money. I didn't care about anything. I just wanted an honest, fair shot at making a national hockey league team. Cause I just spent four years or three years with the Vancouver Canucks and never got an opportunity because I wasn't a high draft pick or, you know, I wasn't a big guy. So um, that's all I wanted. And I'll tell you what, when I went to training camp, uh, my dad, I'll never forget my dad telling me, whatever you do, don't say woulda, coulda, shoulda when this is over. This is, you're now 23 years old. I don't think you're gonna get another opportunity. This is it, so make, your mark. You don't know anyone in St. Louis. You don't have any friends. Just go do your thing. So, of course, the first scrimmage, Pavel Dimitri, the leading scorer for the St. Louis Blues, the year prior to that, gets the puck, goes down the wall, cuts across the blue line, and I catch him in the trolley tracks. And I hit him so hard. <laughs> I, I knock him out unconscious. He hits the ice. I separated his shoulder. They basically had to scrape him off in a shovel. And here is screams from the other bench that I'm a dead man walking. And I'm, I mean, you're not in the big rink, right? And there's hardly any fans there. So you can hear every word. So, and of course I look over and it's Kelly chase who's yelling and screaming at me on the other side of the bench. So after they got Pavel off the ice, well, you know, you know, the rest of the story. (laughs) Well, I finished third in that fight. I'll tell you that. (laughs) But, uh, but he must have had some respect for you, at least that you stood up to him. He had to do what yeah, he had I mean, to do, and you did what you had to do. Yeah, he, uh, it didn't seem like he respected much of me. He tried to punch my nose right off my face, I think. So it was, uh, but I mean, that's how you get noticed, right? And, and my son, as I mentioned, he's going to training camp uh, this year with Carolina. I mean, there's a lot of good hockey players out there. There's a lot of players that can skate, that are skilled. You have to differentiate yourself. You have to get noticed somehow, some way, you have to have the coaches go, who the hell is that guy? Who is that like, guy? Yeah. It's maybe not every shift, but it has to be every practice, every scrimmage, you have to get noticed for something. And you know, that's the bottom line. And I, that's what I did. And that's how I ended up making it. Otherwise I would have been lost in the shuffle. And Pavel was such a special player who we lost 10 years ago. It's uh, it, it's a sad story. Obviously what happened with their plane crash overseas in, in Russia, but, uh, but he was a, certainly a huge talent in St. Louis when you were there. Oh man. Yeah. And he, he would love the fact that I'm telling that story. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I used, I used to bug him about that. 
after uh, I actually made the team, yeah. every day I'd be like, hey, Pavel, you want me to knock you out again? Be quiet. <laughs> and he, he just loved it. He gets so fired up, but you're right. I've Honestly, he was one of the most talented players I've ever played with. An absolute sweetheart. Um, we actually paid tribute to Pavel um, as the St. Louis Blues alumni. We went over to Slovakia a few years ago, and, uh, and we played in his hometown and his home rink. And... Uh, it, it was just, uh, it was just incredible. I think there was 18 or 19,000 people that came out to wow. watch the game. It was, uh, it was something special. He was a, a hero over there. That's pretty cool. Uh, in the summer of 2003, you were traded from the blues to the coyotes. Tell us how you found out about that. Oh man. Um, yeah, that was a tough day for me. That was uh, that was draft day. Um, I'll never forget. I was, uh, I don't know what I was doing. My wife had me hanging blinds or something. And, uh, <laughs> at our uh, little cottage um, in Kelowna and he uh, I got a phone call and it was uh, and it was actually uh, Wayne Gretzky and I was like get the heck I'm like what the heck there's no way I'm like I thought it was one of my buddies Bruce or you know Bobby or LaShawns I, I don't know I was like get out of here so he's like no it's it's Wayne Gretzky we just traded for you I'm uh, I'm one of the owners of the uh, Phoenix Coyotes at the time and uh and then shortly after that i got a call from uh from shane doan my old buddy um he was uh uh the captain of uh, the coyotes at that time and uh so it was kind of like old uh, old times we also played together in Kamloops. we were roommates in Kamloops. so it was uh i guess if there was a, a silver lining it was because i love st louis I, I never wanted to leave yeah. uh the players that i played with there the success we had as a team um, it was it was a tough place to uh, to leave, that's for sure. But it was a lot easier knowing that there were some familiar faces. And obviously, when Wayne Gretzky calls, um, I had Wayne Gretzky wallpaper and Wayne Gretzky bed sheets growing up. I'm sure, like you, you guys yeah. might have as well. So um, you know, it was pretty special playing for him as well. And then that was um, kind of an interesting time in the NHL because you played a year with the Coyotes, and then you had a lockout, and then another year. Is that right? The lockout was right in the middle of your Coyote stay. Yeah. Uh, oh man, it's hard to, it all kind of blurs together. It seemed like we had a lockout every, every two or three years, but, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we, we had a, a year long lockout when I was in Arizona. So that, uh, that was a, that was a tough one. We, yeah. we lost a year's salary. Uh, I'm not a hundred percent exactly what for when I look back on it, but, uh, what, it is, but it, what'd you do for that year? Um, you know what the tough part was, is that we always thought we were close to coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think when it got past the point of no return and they canceled the season on us, um, you know, there was really nowhere to go and there was nowhere to play. So I, I played in every charity, uh, charity tournament, um, around the world that, uh, that I could find, I know, Brad may put on a real nice event. Um, it was a four on four tournament that we traveled to, uh, Kamloops, Victoria, Prince George, Vancouver, uh, a lot of different cities. So that was pretty cool. Um, did a, an event up in, uh, in Aspen, uh, with Adam foot and Dan Hino. That, that was an amazing event. Huh? And then just spent a lot of time with family. You know, I had played a number of years at that point in my career. So it was kind of nice. I was having kids, um, that I got to actually be around and uh, be involved and be at home and take the kids to school. So, uh, as much as it sucked to not be able to play hockey and, and do it, uh, what we did and waste a, a good year of my, my body and my health, um, I got a, a, some really good family time. That's good. Uh, and then obviously you're sort of at the back end of your career. You played in the minors and then somehow, and I don't even know how this, how did you end up in Japan? 
Well, it was, you know, again, it was one of those things where you, you know, that lockout really ended up hurting me. Mm-hmm. Um, you, know, you miss a year and I was pretty banged up and um, obviously the, the coyotes weren't very good. So you weren't getting a lot of exposure. Um, you know, you never think that every door is going to close. Right. And all of a sudden you're knocking on doors and no one's answering and no one's giving you a contract. And I just couldn't really find any, any place to go. Um, the Edmonton Oilers were the only team that gave me a, a tryout and, uh, I'll never forget Kevin Pennegrass was like, well, you're not even going to make the Joey Moss cup. So I don't know why you're coming. And I'm like, okay. wow. All right. Same. And then San Jose called me and they're like, Hey, you want to come to training camp? And I was like, absolutely. So I called Edmonton. I'm like, Hey, shove it boys. <laughs> like, I, like see you later. And I would have, I mean, you guys know me, I would have given anything to play for the Edmonton. Oilers. For sure. Absolutely anything. It would have been a dream come true, but anyway, it wasn't in the cards. Uh, San Jose ended up canceling um, the tryout. So I had nowhere to go. So Jamie McLennan, a good buddy of mine who does a lot, a lot of work for uh, TSN, he said, "Listen, I'm going to I'm going to Japan. Uh, Joel Dick is a uh, uh, brother of Mike Dick, who coaches the Vancouver Giants um, and Team Canada this year. He uh, he said, "Hey, he's got me a contract. If you want to go, there's a spot there for you." So I was like, "Well, let me talk to the wife about it, and, and I'll get back to you." And nothing ever transpired uh, with any other team. So I'm like, "This is my only option. I guess I'll go and." Uh, I'll play some hockey and I'll have some fun and I'll see part of the country I've never seen before. And it was honestly one of the best experiences of my life. Like, oh, it, it, yeah, it really was the, the people, the culture, the hockey even was really, really good. They're so talented. They're very skilled. Uh, they maybe lack a little bit of hockey sense, but, um, but everything else was, it was just the, one of the best experiences of my life, you know, to go over to another country and experience uh, all I experienced with a good friend of mine. Um, good way to end your career. Tyson, I got to ask you a question. I've had a chance to ask Ray Ferraro once, and that is that change going from a player to becoming a broadcaster. Ray said he thought it would be easy, got in there and recognized this is way harder than I thought, although he's turned into one of the best analysts that there there is, I think. But how did you find that adjustment going from playing to talking about it? Oh, it's, he, he's dead on. And I, I've said that from, from day one. Um, I, I think just in general, I think retiring from something you've done ever since you were five years old, um, it really becomes your identity guys. And I, and I think that's, and I don't expect anyone to feel sorry for us or, or anything, but I think that's about any business. My father-in-law who's been the vice pre- president of general electric for a thousand years you know, he retired and I know he went through it. It's like when you, that's your identity. Everyone always talks to you about hockey. You're Tyson Nash, the hockey player. And all of a sudden when you're, you're just Tyson Nash, you need to find a way to, to reinvent yourself. And I know I went through some dark days and some depression um, because retiring wasn't easy. And, you know, going out into the world and having people like not talk to you about hockey anymore or the team you're playing on or the, the next game or whatever it is, all of a sudden you're trying to have real conversations and, and be a part of society that you never, you know, really engaged in or, or with. And I think that was the most difficult part. So I was very grateful that I slid right into broadcasting in the, in the radio booth. Louis DeBrusque went to Edmonton. Uh, he ended up taking the, uh, the TV job there. So I took over his role in the radio booth um, 
with Arizona and you're, you're exactly right. And Ray's right. I mean, it's one thing to, you know, to, to play the game your entire life. It's another thing to talk about it and to break it down and analyze it. And, you know, the words, the crutch words that you use, you have to get away from all that stuff. You have to, again, reinvent yourself. And ultimately for me, like my broadcasting career is way better than my hockey career. So <laughs> I'm, I'm very, very blessed that I, I got an opportunity to step right into the booth. Is that something you always wanted to do? Did you ever consider it while you were playing that you were going to go into the broadcast booth afterwards? You know what? I, w- I was always an idiot. I was always a, a clown and uh, a jokester in the locker room. And there was never a, a microphone that I didn't love to talk into or sing into, or, you know, a camera was around. I was, I was in front of it. So um, I think I, I didn't know I wanted to get into broadcasting until, you know, until I did. And it was our president, Doug Moss at the time. He's like, Hey, you're perfect for this job. This is exactly what you're meant to do. And you can do this for the next 25, 30 years if you want. Um, and I was like, Oh, I don't know. Like, I still think I can play hockey, you know, like I still think I can go play. And, um, anyway, I took the job and honestly, it was the best decision I ever made. I never had to leave Arizona, which, which I love. I've been able to put deep roots here with my family in the community in the hockey community. Um, and uh, again, now I talk about hockey and I don't get beat up anymore. It's the best thing in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, speaking of, of your deep roots there in Arizona and um, because of the, the organization you get to work with, what are your thoughts on them moving, possibly moving to Houston or somewhere else? Any, anything you can share with us? Um, well, I can share that that's a thousand percent not going to happen. Um, okay. We're, uh, we have uh, an incredible owner, um, Alex Murillo is his name. Um, he has uh, got some real deep pockets. Um, he's a very successful businessman. Um, he is so proud of, of this team and Arizona and the community. Um, and you want to talk about roots, he, he's putting them in. He lives and breathes this team. He believes in it. Um, and he is in the, in the works right now of building a, uh, a beautiful brand new facility, um, where we really should have been, um, from day one, which is, uh, you know, closer to downtown where, where more of our fan base was. I mean, we spent 15 years, uh, downtown, uh, Phoenix and all of a sudden you move. I mean, I don't care if you're the Vancouver Canucks or the Edmonton Oilers, you move basically to another city, right. um, you you move to Beaumont or you move to, you know, Vegreville, it, it's going to be tough to, to sell your building out. Right. So um, anyway, our, our owners are dedicated to, uh, to building a new rink. Um, it's going to be uh, pretty dicey the next probably three or four years of where the team's actually going to play since we got uh, the boot out of uh, Glendale. But uh, it's uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. These guys are, the right people uh, to manage and, and to uh, to own this team. And we haven't had an ownership like this in, in forever. So uh, oh, that's great it, news. That really yeah. is. Um, well, we'll finish up and I've got the lightning round here for you. Um, well, here so, we go. So, yeah, we, we've got some uh, inquiring minds. will want to know some of the players that you've played with. So we'll go through them. Um, who is your uh, biggest snoring roommate? Oh man. Uh, like, do you want me to expand on these or just bang them out? You can just bang them out. Okay, Doug Waite. Wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. Strongest player you've ever played with? Oh, Tony Twist. The most fit? Uh, Mark Bergeron. Best fighter? 
Kelly Chase. And, and you had to fight him. <laughs> Fastest <laughs> skater. Uh, Pavel Bure. Most skilled player. Uh, Pavel Dimitra. Best goalie. Grant Fuhr. Funniest player. You aside. Mark Bergeron. Best trash talker. Uh, oh, man. Kelly Chase. Smartest teammate. Bryce Salvador. Nicest teammate. Oh, Pierre Turgeon. Favorite coach. Greg Gilbert. Favorite city for a road game. Vancouver. Favorite arena to play in. Montreal. And the favorite restaurant on the road. Oh, oh man. Honestly, anywhere in Montreal. I don't know what the names are, yeah. but anywhere in Montreal. I love that town. Excellent. Well, Tyson, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, continued success with the Coyotes, and great to hear that there's no plans of moving that team. You by, bet. Thanks, by, guys. I by the way, I, I happen to have Doug Waite's phone number here. Should I be calling him? <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> after we're done here. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. thanks for your time. Hey, Brent, you got to tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. They can reach our team directly at 780-464-0075 or on the web, macintoshgroup.ca. Tyson, thanks for your time. Everybody, thanks for uh, tuning us in today. I'm Bryn Griffiths. He's Brent McIntosh, and we'll see you next time. 